One out, nobody on. The playoffs to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three calls. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Autobot podcast. On this week's episode, we will be discussing the League One uh, auction that just took place this past weekend. Um, I'm joined again this week by Niv Shaw and Chad Young. They're both original members of League One, um, and uh, we're going to discuss that. We're also going to discuss some some general um, auction strategy, specifically for uh, a, a non-first year auction. Um, so we'll get right into that. Okay, I'm going to start uh, this episode with a quick housekeeping. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to um, Miguel on the Audinu Slack. Um, he did us a huge favor and he edited last week's episode after we had some audio sync uh, drift issues with our first episode. So I really wanted to say thank you to him um, because that was the only way that you guys got a chance to hear that first episode. So um, I wanted to, to, to mention that. Um, the other thing real quick that I wanted to mention... I'm not trying to shill for myself at all, but we didn't bring it up last week. Um, I do have a Patreon um, for anybody that wants to support the tools that I create. Um, that's patreon.com slash vibot. Um, you can check it out. Um, I would appreciate it. Um, and then uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, Niv, if you wanted to speak real quick about um, where we are right now as far as there's still leagues looking for owners, right? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I will shill. Uh, <laughs> play, play Auto New if you don't already. If you are playing it, play some more. Um, we have new leagues forming. Uh, we have some head-to-head leagues, uh, some Fangraphs points, uh, a lot of 5x5 five five and 4x4, four four, a lot of people trying out um, all kinds of formats. So there's all kinds of leagues forming. We have plenty of draft time still available. Uh, the, le- uh, the baseball season is sooner than you think. So if you're interested in playing, if you're interested in trying it out this year, if you're interested in adding another team, now's the time to do it. Obviously, it's autonew.com or autonew.fangraphs.com. You can join a league. You can create new leagues. You can um, recruit players who are looking for new leagues. There's a lot of new interest from a lot of new players this year, and I really hope everyone can find a league and find a place that is a good fit for them. And uh, that only happens if everyone who is a little bit interested in playing, uh, takes a poke around, uh, kicks the tires a little bit, and starts you know trying out their dynasty this year. All right, sounds good. Um, the other thing that we wanted, our first topic for tonight, um, real quick, is we wanted to talk about um, Niv and Chad. You both had the, the original League One auction uh, last weekend. I actually, we had a meetup. Uh, there in Washington, D.C., built around sort of that auction. Um, I came into town to, to, to hang out. Um, so if you guys wanted to, to speak sort of generally about um, how your, your auctions went, um, maybe more, more information about how um, 
owners can prepare and strategize for League One was a returning auction rather than what we talked about last week with the pitcher list auction, which was a first-year auction. Um, I'd chat if you wanted to if you start with giving your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think this one was was an interesting one in that everybody early on there was a lot of activity it's pretty typical that we talked about but the activity didn't drive prices so high that i saw a ton of deals coming later uh and so usually we talked about this a little bit last week with the uh pitcher list auction that you you often get these like big numbers early on and then things start to settle in and then at the end people start to realize they're out of money and you get a bunch of value what what was happening in this one was the first couple guys went pretty high. There was a $63 Bryce Harper, $54 Giancarlo Stanton right off the bat. And if you're used to playing points leagues, those don't seem like crazy numbers. Uh, they're high, but not insanely high. But in a roto league, that's that's pretty big numbers. Those are that Harper is one of the more expensive players I think we've ever had in this league in in 15 years or whatever it is that we've been together. But then things settled down pretty quickly, and a bunch of guys that came in at, I think, pretty reasonable prices, if high. It's like a $42 Anthony Rizzo, $36 Goldschmidt. Um, I paid $35 for Gary Sanchez, which seems a little high, uh, but I also was at a point where I felt like I needed one more big bat. There were only certain positions that I really needed. A big outfielder wasn't likely to help me, and... You, know, you were asking about like how do you prep for the draft. One of the things I did this year that I haven't done in the past, but I really like the way it played out, was I made myself a grid where uh, the columns were dollar values, and not individual dollar values, but sort of tiers, a, a $1, $5, $10, $20, and so on. And then the rows were positions. And so I had a block, and I could look at it and look at both a column and say, oh, here's all the guys, here's all the bats worth roughly $40 regardless of position. And I could look at, here's all the catchers, and I know I need a catcher. And, and what I found as the draft went on is really early on, a bunch of those big bats went really, really high priced. And so I, I jumped at Gary Sanchez at $35. I think I had him closer to $30 before the draft as a, as a value. And so it was a little bit over. Although I should say that was a $30 post-inflation. So it's maybe more than a little bit over. But I was really concerned that prices just weren't coming down. And I didn't want to miss out on that that top tier of of bats. And I think this is something that Justin, you and I have talked about this a lot in the Slack that, you know, we talk about surplus being the way you win leagues. I think that's true, but you need the right production. And without the right production, it doesn't matter if you have all the surplus in the world. And so, I, you know, you could have $41 player or $10 players at $1 each, and you're going to have a ton of surplus and a terrible team. Uh, and so, Sanchez was my sort of like, I, I've got to splurge somewhere. I can't wait and just get value. I need somebody who's actually going to put numbers up. I don't know how that'll work out, but I felt like I needed to do it. Yeah, and I think that phenomenon is is a lot more prevalent in a returning league because I would argue that in a first-year league, you really should focus primarily on maybe surplus isn't always the the right word but but you should focus on bargains you should focus on getting players at a price that you really like in a returning league um, because you already have a set of keepers you have more of a roster construction dynamic where as you said like you just needed production and at a certain point you do need to buy that production if you're going to be competitive now depending on how your keepers shake out maybe you kept a lot of studs and you don't have much to work with at, at which point you're just looking to backfill um, sort of high upside bench options but I think in a returning league um, your roster construction becomes a lot more important than 
necessarily finding bargains. And I think the other thing that you that, that that becomes very difficult and dynamic in a returning league is there is inflation, but that inflation is driven by your own set of dollar values and what you think the inflation is based, you know, calculated using your values. And you might think that somebody's worth $50 inflated and somebody else might think they're only worth 40 because they had a different set of inflation calculations. But so it becomes a lot more sort of a dynamic, I've already said dynamic, but you know, that's really what it means is everybody's got a different sense of what the inflation is going to be. And sometimes it takes a few auctions before that sort of shakes out and everybody gets a sense of, you know, here's, here's where the prices are going to be because um, inflation's kind of not, it's not precise at that moment. Yeah. I think um, one of the things that's really clear uh, was going into the auction at least is that pitching was going to be really scarce and uh, like to, to Chad's point, uh, hitting was abundant, but not as abundant as you'd want it to be. And you definitely could have missed out on uh, top tier bats. Uh, Chad, thank you for not outing me as the person who bid $63 on Bryce Harper and $36 on Paul Goldschmidt. I did both those. Um, but I had a plan going in that was my plans generally in the drafts are to simplify. Um, speaking a little bit to the dynamic of what we talked about last week. Uh, drafts are really hard. Uh, they change a lot as you're going, and tracking everything uh, can be a challenge while maintaining good value. So I look less for value in the auction draft. I look more for production, um, and I try to secure value in season in trades and in the off season for trades. Right? Trades I think are where the surplus comes from for my teams. And in in auction is where the surplus or is where production comes from, like just total production. Now I don't think that's necessarily Chad the way you play it, um, but for me, I simplified my plan such that I didn't really need to add a lot of pitching. I actually kept a little bit of an expensive Steven Strasburg going in. Um, I put my staff together. That's a lot of high upside. Um, and if everyone if everyone throws 130, 140 innings, I'll be in good shape. But I have a lot of arms that may not make it that far. And so I really try to focus on one side uh, and simplify as many positions as, sorry, as few positions as I actually needed to add. And as a result, uh, I really only needed a couple hitters. And I think uh, that resulted in directly with the phenomenon, Chad, that you were talking about, where we had um, really pricey hitting at the beginning of that draft uh, because a lot of people were sort of going after that plan. Um, I was lucky. I had the most uh, money per slot to start with. Um, but as soon as, you know, that Bryce Harper came off the table on the first pick, uh, which I paid 63 for, again, to remind everyone, um, it, it really, it sort of set the tone, I think, for that draft. Like, what do you think, Chad? I mean, we've known each other for a long time. Like, everyone in the league's known each other for a long time. I think it set that tone a little bit. Yeah, I think that's right. And I, I think um, what, what you said about sort of, trades and in-season pickups being the best place to get value and then you got to figure out who you're keeping uh to, to maximize that value and then using the auction to buy production I, I think in some ways that's a uh it's certainly true of this league uh, one thing i've learned about this league over the years is people are pretty aggressive about who they keep and so you often go into these auctions and it's like like you were saying you kept all these pitchers you kept a little bit of an expensive uh strasburg but who is the pitching available yeah, like I mean, gone into this league, there was there it was, was Kershaw. Kershaw, Kershaw, and then it was David Price. I think like it wasn't 
right? I mean, yeah. If I'm looking at the the draft right now, I'm looking at the draft results. So Kershaw went for 45, which is a super high price for him. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's was... a lot of risk there. Miles Michael Michaelis for four dollars, which wasn't so bad. Then you have like an eight dollar Alex Wood, a thirteen dollar Fulty. What was the uh, Robbie Ro- Robbie Ray? Right, that was the one we were like yeah, we were losing our minds for Robbie Ray. Um, and so twenty six dollars for Corey Kluber, who who barely pitched last year, and when he did pitch, was terrible. Uh, yeah, and he so, might be done. Right. I mean, like right. there was a lot of people willing to take risk on that side of the ball, and but if you look at it, like. After Kershaw, there wasn't many. There wasn't anyone left. I mean, like we we keep, like you said, we keep really aggressively, and there wasn't really anyone left. No, and like I went into that draft with uh, Charlie Morton, Shohei Otani, uh, Marquez, and I think oh, and Boyd and Pablo Lopez as well. So those are the five pitchers I kept. There's not a lot of ace potential in there. Morton's obviously great. Otani, if he comes back well, could be great. Um, but everything else is sort of a second tier ish kind of guy. And I really wanted to fill out that pitching staff with a couple of good arms. And it was just so difficult. So I ended up walking away. I added I did four pitchers in the draft. I added Matt's uh for ten dollars, nine dollars, something like that. Seven dollars. That's actually not so bad. No, uh, not so six dollar Jose Quintana. Yeah. Um I had an eight dollar Carlos Martinez who I've already traded. Yeah, you might regret that. If if Martinez pitches as a starter this year, you might regret that one. Yes. I mean, you, I, it sounds like you already kind of regret that one. Well, that, that trade, so I, I had picked up a $9 Joey Votto because I also needed first base. I had Otani and uh, Voight as my sort of first base util combination. I needed to fill that out. So I went out, I got Votto for $9. I needed on base. I thought, okay, he'll at least produce that. And then I went and was looking, at, looking closer at him and decided... Maybe he won't. He was really bad last year, and I'm not <laughs> yeah. really sure he's going to do what I want. And I'm I'm short a middle infielder. I like to carry five middle infielders, and I only had four. And Jeff offered me Scott Kingery, who I'm pretty high on, and thought, all right, let's figure out if we can make a deal work. And we started off with CMart for Kingery, which I thought was reasonable, uh, especially because they were very similar salaries. And then I was trying to figure out a way to get some cap space, and we started talking about Vado, and he basically took on Vado's contract and gave me. Jordan Hicks and his 60-day spot uh, and paid Hicks's salary. So I picked up a bunch of cap space in the deal, but... Uh, but you lost I, a little production I lost there, a little right? bit of... Uh, yeah, I lost him on base. And my first base situation now... So, you know, Otani will be util as much as he can. And then my first baseman and guys who might also fill in at util, uh, CJ Crone, Renato Nunez, G-Man Choi, Luke Voigt. Uh, I've got Dominic Smith. I think I might have one other first base qualifying player. Maybe not. Maybe that's it. Oh, uh, Michael Chavis, um, who's one of my middle infielders. I probably won't use him at first base much, but in theory, I could. And it's just like I'm not sure Voight makes that or uh, Votto makes that group a whole lot better. But it would be nice to have him. Uh, and, and I looking at my. I, I build a, a spreadsheet every year to sort of predict what the standings are going to look like and help me evaluate trades. What happens if I take this guy out of my lineup? What happens if I add this guy to it? And I didn't build that till after I'd made that trade. And when I looked at it, going from Votto getting about 300 or 400 plate appearances to CJ Crone getting those plate appearances had basically no impact on me in anywhere except I lost three points in the standings in on-base percentage. 
Right, and three points in the standings in our league is the difference between third place and sixth place. You know, it's a yeah. really punitive uh, down in that, like, just outside the bubble trying to get your money back situation. Yep. And and on top of that, I gave up a guy who may be a very good starting pitcher in a league where where I think pitching's at a premium. And so, um, yeah, I really was. Not and real I think, happy with that. <laughs> I mean, there's there's like these challenges that come up in uh, the returning league of it's it's clarifying, right, to be able to say that we know that um, pitching was scarce. We knew that um, on keeper deadline, right, on January thirty first. Um, uh, what our pitch, our draft was on the 29th. We had Severino was down at that point. We didn't know Chris Sale was going to be fully like this, but we, I think we had some idea because the pneumonia stuff had come out, and you know he was still rehabbing. So we, you know you know that there are people out there who really needed starting pitching, um, and you know it's it's really clarify it's it's having all the keepers and having the way that our league our dynamic is understanding it knowing that um people will overkeep a little bit people will not necessarily keep for surplus value necessarily like they will keep uh in order to simplify their auction they'll keep in order to go towards a long-term goal that they've had for the last three years um you know i i do that i think everyone does in the league except maybe chad who is um i don't know you're like a you're like a um, a consultant or whatever, you just come in and you slash, you don't, you don't really think about it, but like everyone else has emotions and uh, attachment hey to these now. players that they've had for, Hey, well, I'm just saying <laughs> like, uh, you're, remember you're like, my wife was a consultant. So you're George Clooney and up in the air, man. You're like, you're like, I'm coming in there. I'm going to get rid of these guys cause they're not worth it. But I don't think everyone, you know, uh, we've had this league for 15 years now. We all know each other. We all have, uh, preferences that almost everyone else knows about. Uh, in terms of what we try to do in order to simplify our drafts, in order to build our teams in the ways that we enjoy rooting for them, that we enjoy, um, and that we believe that they'll be successful. Um, and, you know, in this year, the dynamic was like really clear. It was, we had 15, 15 of the top 25 hitters or something. We had a lot of top end hitters and we had three pitchers, man. It was, it was a mess. It was like a total... Um, I mean, it was just very clarifying and it fit my plan really well. Now, at the end of that, that does not necessarily mean I don't want anyone to get the impression that I think my team is going to be excellent next year. Um, it's built on a lot of risk, a lot of pitching risk. It's built on hoping that a lot of guys bounce back from last year that are just a little bit below where they need to be. But, um, but you know, the plan comes together after the keeper deadline where you can say well i know there's only three pitchers i know there's this many hitters i know that my team lacks on base percentage which it does and it still does it lacks a certain level of run scored and as a result you have to really aggressively get two of the top five hitters you have 113 dollars, so you have like 110 dollars to get two of the top five hitters go do that um i got goldschmidt and i got harper i don't think they're I don't think Goldschmidt falls in the line of top five hitter available, but he's in the top 10. And, you know, I'm, so I'm happy with my draft. I think the plan came together, but the plan's been working since I started selling middle of last year. And I put together the pitching staff that I put together. And I put together a risk profile that I'm comfortable with, which is higher risk than most people. And then I decided, like, all right, what do we have to do to 
to to make this team like a top a top three team that can buy at the like it can, can buy in May, I guess. Uh, so shifting gears a little bit, you, Niv, you had mentioned that that this is uh, 15 years this this league has existed. Um, yeah, I've, had, right. I've had some articles that I've written in the past or rotographs talking about um, Audenew and keeper inflation and sort of um, surmising uh, when inflation, if it, if it continues to get higher and higher as a league gets older, if there's a point where it sort of plateaus out. Um, I was just curious, Chad and Niv, both of you, in your experience, do you think that that's true? As, as, have you seen a plateau in the inflation? Has it sort of become cycled higher and then lower? Um, or, or I was just curious if you've seen that effect. I mean, this is the oldest league in, in auto new existence, um, so there's more sample size than there is for any other league when it comes to um, the dynamics of, of the in keeper inflation specifically. Yeah, I, I think it I think it went up for a while, which is what you typically see in the first two, three years of a league. And then since then has leveled off and I think in, it's probably dropped. It probably peaked in somewhere in like the four to seven or four to eight year range. Yeah, I think that's right. Because what happened is, as Niv said, is people got really aggressive about who they keep. And there just aren't that many, like as soon as one team gets aggressive about keeping, then another team does it. And once another team does it, now you have less and less available in the auction. And so the value of getting those dollars back on the table goes down. And so then people start thinking like, and you're like, well, I actually need $4. Right. I actually need the starting pitcher, right? Like I need this guy. Like I, if, if these six guys who I think should be cut, aren't going to be cut, well then what am I going to do? Right. So I think that's, that's exactly right. And I think Chad, you know, you mentioned it in your first, in the first thing you said, but the fact that, um, you know, when we say Bryce Harper is $63 and that's still, we're in year 15, I'm pretty sure, I, I mean, I can look this up at some point uh, while someone else is talking here, but I'm pretty sure that's one of, if not the most expensive player that's been kept or been uh, auctioned in any of our auctions. And that's like 15 years in. It might be second place to Trout. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I was going to look now at the your average price page uh across four by four and so across four by four just so we have a comparison that is not the most expensive harper overall the most expensive harper is a 71 dollar harper somewhere there's a 95 dollar trout somewhere his average salary wow. is 75 across four by four um there's a few other players in that 60 dollar range there's a 60 dollar arenado 60 dollar bet 60 dollar stanton 61 dollar scherzer 62 dollar bryant so I think your 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 point, which is the right one, is like even after all these years, it's not like all of a sudden we have guys costing eighty and ninety dollars when other leagues don't. It, it, at some point, right. um, everyone started to realize that like I've got a fifty three dollar Harper, let's say, and if I want to cut him, he's going to go for sixty three, and so I might as well just keep him. And so then they do, and so then there's less dollars available at auction, and you end up with if you look at the way the surplus calculator calculates calculates this justin you know you're going to end up showing negative inflation in some cases based on keepers because guys are keeping people based on an assumption of what their inflation will be and so all right. of a sudden everybody's keeping people 30 percent over their expected value because they're not going to get them back for less than that anyways which then has it has the effect of bringing down the inflation for everyone else yeah that's exactly right and, and that's sort of that equilibrium that i was 
that I was surmising might exist where you get to a point where everybody sees that inflation is creeping higher and higher and then they realize that the right play, the rational play in that instance is to start keeping those studs that maybe they're 20% overpaid according to a par value, but if inflation is 30 or 35%, then it still makes sense to keep them because they'd be more expensive on the open market uh, than they would be as a keeper. Um, and then by doing that, that has a natural effect of driving inflation down a little bit. Um, so it, I think it's you get to a point at a certain point where you reach that e equilibrium, the league almost becomes self-correcting when it comes to inflation. Um, and I think that was my suspicion that would happen when, when dealing with a league that gets to be as old as, as League One is when you're talking 15 years. Um, and especially the other di the other aspect of that being that everybody knows each other so well. So you, can, you probably have a pretty good sense of who everybody else is keeping. You can more accurately get a sense of what actually is going to be available at auction um, and and I think you get to that point now I think there's a natural progression through the first four or five maybe even six years where inflation does continue to creep up but then I think it is about that five six or seven year mark where you probably start to see it bouncing up and down a little bit and sort of settling into a, an equilibrium point yeah so I can give you guys a little bit of trivia here uh, real quick so I did a little query while you guys were talking there um, Chad this is going to be pretty upsetting for everybody but that we have had a hundred and three dollar player go at auction um it was prince fielder in 2012 i am not really sure why that happened but it happened man and we have to now reckon with that but we haven't had a 60 dollar player in the last two years in our auctions we had a couple 70 dollar players a couple years ago um but you know generally people don't want to spend more than 65 dollars in our league's auction other than Prince Fielder in 2012 for some reason that I don't really remember why. That's so weird. Who who paid for that player? Does it say who it was? Um, I can I can figure it out. Um, it was oh, it was it was you. It was you or Jeff. Hold on, let me figure this out. <laughs> the call was coming I'm, from inside the house. <laughs> I'm yeah. team two. He's team one. Yeah, That's so it was Jeff. Team. It was Jeff in 2012. Yeah, thank you. That was it was Jeff, and um, I assume it was it was February twenty fifth. So that probably is our auction date. It probably wasn't. A, I mean, it definitely wasn't a forty eight hour auction. Nobody in our league is pushing one hundred and three into one of those boxes. So we would have had to put one hundred and two also. <laughs> yeah, right. And then yeah, that's right. So it's definitely in the auction. And I mean, obviously, this is during our uh, carefree pre children days when uh, the entrance fee to to be in the auction involved uh, a giant bottle of beer so I'm, I'm sure that had something to do with it but i mean a 103 dollar player is is crazy but but you also you can see a like a clear pattern here if i go through it real quick and you know this is just sort of reinforcing the point that there is a peak for inflation so if you're in one of these leagues that's like three or four years in you actually might be in it we have a couple we have i looked for all what i did real quick here uh just to back it up here is i put all auctions, uh, all ads over sixty dollars in League One. Um, we had a sixty-three, a few sixty-three dollar players uh, up to the hundred and three dollar player in the two thousand twelve auction. We had uh, three sixty-plus players in the twenty fifteen auction. We had two seventy-dollar players in twenty. Oh no, sorry, seventy-two dollar player in twenty sixteen, twenty eighteen, a seventy-eight dollar player. This year. No one over $60 in 2019. 
$63 player this year. And again, the $63 player was, as Chad pointed out, and you know, we're sort of repeating ourselves now, noteworthy for being like, wow, someone spent $63 on Bryce Harper. Like, that is actually a real spend. Like, that is the most Bryce Harper has ever gone for. Like, uh, or most one of these Alfredos has gone for. So, you know, we, we hit a peak in that Prince Fielder period, and that was, what, six or seven, eight years into our league. Yeah. And and we really haven't, we, we haven't even come close to that again, right? We're not paying $80 for the top-tier players. Now, I'll grant you, Mike Trout is being kept at a pretty high price, and if you want to get Mike Trout in our league, you got to trade three prospects for him at any price, you know? Yeah, I'm um, going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to burst your bubble a little bit here. I went back to the transactions page. And that $103 fielder was then added again four minutes later to a different team for $63. Okay, so that sounds a lot better. So something ch- weird happened. Okay, but good. while That's- I'm here and looking at this, that auction that year started with a $60 bronze, $66 holes, a $36 A-Rod, $63 fielder, $50 Evan Longoria, $37 Eric Hosmer, uh, $63 Kershaw. Oh, $37 Eric Hosmer. Oof. Yeah. But, I mean, you look at that that group. This is like the first 10 or so guys. After that, Kershaw, there was a $43 Jared Weaver, a $57 Matt Holliday, $28 Matt Moore, $41 Pedroia. Like, that is a run of guys where there's a couple. There's one guy in the 20s, one guy in the 30s, a bunch of guys in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Um, it sounds like that was definitely anything our, like that our most anymore. expensive year. Yeah. And we're just, we're just not. And I think, you know, part of it is the dynamic that everybody um, – everybody's keeping more aggressively but also part of it is just like we sort of know that we can make trades we know that like uh you have to see how the first couple months shake out and then trades are available in our league because everyone knows everyone at this point and you're able to really um if you want to buy or if you want to sell it's not hard to uh connect to the person that you want to connect to so like that's another important part about a returning league is you're definitely developing those relationships you know we're 15 years in obviously chad and i have known each other uh since high school but um a lot of these guys you know chad met you met g hang for the first time this weekend and he's he's won the league a couple times and he's a great player in our league and just like that's a person that we know how to trade with. Like we've been able to interact with him over the course of like 15 years. So even not knowing him in person, that relationship has developed, like, especially for me, but, um, uh, to where I can make trades with him if I'm looking to buy or looking to sell and if our, uh, needs align. So people tend, I think that draws a little bit of a difference out of how we, how inflation plays out. I I mean, I don't know, maybe that makes sense. I think that does. And I think that what this sort of leads naturally to is you start to think about uh, who are you keeping and how are you filling in those gaps and how's the auction going to play out is is how you auction prep. Um, and this is something I've spent, I spent a lot of time thinking about. Um, I basically every offseason create a, a spreadsheet for each of my teams that is, uh, it's effectively the roster organizer. It's a little bit different because I, I, it predates the existence of the roster organizer. And so there's some stuff in there that I've just never managed to move myself out of uh, a spreadsheet for. Um, but I use it to set sort of a, 
Who am I keeping? Who am I not? What does my depth chart look like? Where do I want to assign dollars? But then the big thing for auction prep for me is I create a, a targets list. So for each spot I know I need to fill, I need a starting shortstop. I need a uh, back. I need an additional outfielder. I need some first base help. I need three starting pitchers. I create a list of targets in sort of almost a depth chart style format. Here's my first choice. Here's my second choice. Here's my third choice with... Um, a rough dollar figure of where I think I want to spend to get the guy I want. So I start to have like a budget put together. Um, and I think right. the big thing I've learned over the last few years is uh, not to really stick to that budget, um, which, which seems a little weird, but I need the budget to help me sort of figure out like, what, what do I think the shape of this team could look like, right? Like, okay, I've got... I could you don't want to make two, mistakes, right? You don't want to yeah. get yourself into mistakes, so that helps you with that. Totally, right. Like, if I know I've got room for two $30 bats, I don't want to buy a $50 bat that I'm never going to be able to afford. Like, I want to, I want to make sure I know what I'm doing, or at least if I'm going to buy that $50 bat, know what the trade-off is. And so, like, this year's a really good example where I came into the draft, I had room for, I thought, one sort of big bat in the 30 in the sort of 30-ish dollar range then maybe like a 20 to 25 dollar bat i ended up getting a 35 dollar gary sanchez and a 19 dollar gary uh justin upton um both of whom i'm happy with but the plan was to spend at first base i thought i could get rizzo in sort of the 35 to maybe up to 40 range he went up to 42 i thought i could get goldie in the 25 to 30 range he went up to 36 and so i ended up passing on those guys but I had this budget that told me, wait, 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 you still need a big bat. And you need to figure out where you're going to get that big bat. And so I pivoted when Sanchez came up and jumped at him. And then I had to adjust down because I spent more on that first bat than I expected. Um, and then it became a question of where else can I get what I want and, and sort of fill in the gaps there. Um, I also, through that process, tried to identify specific players I know I want. There, there were a handful of guys going into this auction that I was like, I just want to get this guy. I think that they're going to be a good value, and I think that at that value, they'll play a, a big role on my team. Yeah, I, I, I think my process is very similar to yours, Chad, as far as um, getting a sense of what, what my depth chart looks like, um, looking at what my roster needs are. I think I very specifically will look at how many players at every position I want to own, how many players at every position I currently own as a keeper, and then obviously the difference is my my beginning set of targets that i want uh to to get at auction and i think again this is another difference i have between a a first year league and a returning league is i'm much more likely to to chase after certain positions that i know that i'm weak at a certain position i know i need three middle infielders um and i'm more likely to maybe pay more than I otherwise would want to, maybe pay par, pay a dollar more than I'm comfortable paying to get a certain position because I know that those position scarcity runs can happen in a returning auction. Um, and, you know, the better the better flexibility you have with your keepers, um, you know, if you've got a lot of multi-eligible guys, if, you, if you're not in a position where you kept a f two first basemen and one's going to be your first baseman and one's going to be your till, you know, you limit your flexibility depending on sometimes depending on the keepers that you have. So the more flexibility you've allowed yourself based on your keepers, the better, because then you can react to the pricing that happens during the auction. But otherwise you kind of get stuck in a position where you need to, you need to target that big pitcher. You need, you, you have the money for a big bat. And if you don't get a big bat, you might get shut out and you might, have to pivot almost all of your plans and and i see that a lot with a, a lot of teams put themselves in a position where they have 90 dollars in 
three or four spots to fill, you, you know what they have to do. They have to buy a, a couple big players, and sometimes they have to overpay to do that. Um, and you really limit your flexibility when you do that sometimes. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, like, uh, Justin, like what you described is exactly the way I approached it. But like, when I'm looking at, uh, you know, we're talking a little bit about auction prep here. And like the way I think about it, you know, my auction prep last year started um, on May 29th. I'm looking at the transaction list right now, because I traded Gary Sanchez to Chad for Glasnow and Kalinich. And um, you know, that, that sort of sets the tone for me. Cause I, I only acquired Gary Sanchez to flip him in the auction the year before. So you're sort of saying like, okay, what are my plans? How am I going to get myself back to contention? And it takes like a, in our league, it takes a full year, maybe a couple years to like actually put a plan together that can actually, um, come somewhat close to being, um, interesting but you know and then you know i added uh gavin lux down the line i added uh lazardo and sixto which you know i ended up flipping him um i added uh i'm looking at who else i added i added nate pearson here so you start seeing like the ideas of like you're building some tool some your ammunition for a mid-season push next year you're cutting a lot of salary right you're freeing up a lot of stuff and then you're keeping a lot of surplus right the glasno is uh was a four dollar and now is a 14 dollar after arbitration i believe player um eddie rosario for six bucks was was added at some point like you're doing these things that allow you to have like the big dollar per spot in the 2020 auction. So like when I'm making that trade uh, May 29th of last year, I'm looking to February 29th of this year, right? I'm looking at like, how do I have as much money as possible and as few needs as possible? Now, I don't know if I necessarily have as few needs as I wanted to have going into it. I think my offense has a lot of question marks, but you put yourself in a position that you can at least, uh, you know, given the, the, the very close prospects that I have, uh, I have a couple bullets that I can use in May and June to to add to that offense and really push it over the top to an interesting place. And all that starts for me in the trade season. So, like, I know trades are a contentious and difficult thing to do in Auto New, but I also think they're like the the to me the most important part um, in terms of auction prep because you, that's where you really get to define without um, anyone but yourself. Uh, how you want your team to be constructed. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And I think the other thing that that does is you can sort of predict where some of those um, those those weaknesses are going to be, both in terms of your roster and what's upcoming in the auction. And if you get a sense that starting pitching is going to be, like you guys mentioned, starting pitching was really scarce, right? So if you had identified that in in the middle of January, you could have you could have taken that as a cue to okay I'm gonna I'm gonna shift some of my focus to acquiring somebody acquiring a pitcher now before the keeper deadline to set myself up to be in a better position going into auction because now I don't have to chase uh, what's going to be a limited resource at auction. Yeah, I mean, I, if you look at it, I, I made on January 24th of this year, I traded an eight dollar Robinson Cano for a $47 Steven Strasburg. And that $47 Steven Strasburg did not look great on January 24th. He looked fine, I would say. And Chad, you can uh, confirm that or tell me he looked bad or whatever. I think right now today, he looks a lot better than he looked on January 24th. And I think that's um, a function of the way the draft 
played out, the way these injuries have played out, you know, with Chris Sale today and with um, uh, with with uh, Severino, and also in, in in speaking specifically to that tier of pitcher, and then uh, yeah, I mean just how aggressively everyone keeps in our league. Like I don't, I think like you know those those things become available to you, and the trade market is where you really have to act on that stuff. So let's ask you this question: Do you? Uh, we talked a lot about having sort of a sense here, the needs I need to fill, the position I need to fill. Do you target players? Like, do you go into the draft thinking, I'm going to walk out with this guy? Man, um, I used to do that. Um, but, you know, homerism comes in there in a big <laughs> way. And, like, you know, I want to believe that Frankie Lindor or J Ram or whatever, like, I'm a big, Indi- like, Chad and I are big Indians fans. We want to see them be the best players. But um, so that saying that in trying to restrain that. Um, restrain that sort of urge. Uh, for my needs this year, Giancarlo Stanton was the number one player, like just the absolute number one player. Great on base percentage, great home run hitter. I don't need the uh, I needed the runs a little bit, but um, that's lesser. But the on base is the thing that I really needed, and he's head and shoulders above everyone else. When he had the injury uh, three or four days before our draft, I had to shift a little bit, but. It became, and you know, I was saying this to you guys at the dinner. We had dinner on Friday night before, and uh, I was pretty open about it. I'm pretty transparent about it, and I think you know, Justin speaks spoke directly about why that can be a problem. You're basically telling everyone you're signaling what you need to do, and I didn't just signal it. I told everyone literally what I need to do, which is I'm going to pay a bunch of money for Stanton, or I'm going to pay a bunch of money for Harper. And we were outside that restaurant, and Chad, you talked me into spending a bunch of money on Harper, and the, in, instead of spending a bunch of money on Stanton. And then I, you know, I, I did target Harper the man, not Harper the stat line, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I found that it's a struggle for me when I try to target top end players like that. I know I need a big bat. I will find a big bat, but I, I try not to worry about whether it's Harper or Stanton or whoever it ends up being, as long as they're all healthy. Um, and actually, I was looking back at that 2012 auction, the one that the, the $103 Prince Fielder that was actually right, 63. Right, right. Um, that auction, I went in, I needed pitching. I had about 150 bucks to spend or something. And I just decided that Kershaw and Linscum were mine. I was just going to pay for them. Right. It didn't matter. Yeah, it didn't I did. matter. I huh? bought them both. And I don't know that I, I don't know that it actually worked out very well that year. If I'm remembering correctly, I'll have to go back and look at the standings. But what I've done since then is I found that, uh, I'm better off if I target needs at the top end, and if I want to target players, target players at the bottom. And what I mean by that is, like, I went into this draft, and um, I'm a big believer that Travis Shaw is going to break back out this year. Uh, there's a lot of reports that he tried to mess with his swing last year. It obviously did not work. He recognizes that, and he's going back to his old swing. He had success in AAA. I think he's going to go back to being the guy he was before, and I felt pretty good that I could get him for a buck or two, and it was going to be worth it. Um, I got very focused on G-Man Choi as a guy whose platoon split. It's it's the weak side split, but it's it's awesome. Uh, he's going to put up great numbers for me at first base against lefties. Uh I knew I was going to need multiple middle infielders and basically felt like Didi Gregorius was a great opportunity to buy low on a shortstop who could fill a need for me. And so I had a bunch of guys down at that end, like the sub $10, uh, maybe in some cases sub $15 range. Right. Uh, I mean, 
then I'm just I'm going to get them because I and not and, right. I, and I'm not going to overpay for them. It's not about I'm going to do whatever I want. It's I actually build in some cases my strategy in terms of who I nominate, um, where I bid, when I bid. I've got this list of guys that like I want these five guys. If I only have six spots left, I'm going to be super cautious about who I use them on because I want to get these guys. Right, and I think you know when you do on the high end. Uh, it's just it's again it's it's a leverage question, right? If I'm saying I want Bryce Harper versus wanting um, Travis Shaw, like it's a real different dynamic in terms of what the bidding is going to look like, right? Um, and I think you know when I when I look at some of my past auctions, I definitely target the man on the lower end. I think that's where you should be targeting the man. I think the place where you target the man on the higher end is when you think you are either one or two pieces away from competing, or, or and, and, you know, my team, uh, to be totally transparent here, has not been a, the most competitive team in League One. And, um, you know, trading is one of my strong suits. The auction is not one of my strong suits. So, uh, you know, I, I've, I know my own uh, uh, weaknesses and strengths as a player. So I look at it as, you know, when I target the man like Bryce Harper, Bryce Harper is, is the Cadillac, right? I mean, you're talking about... Uh, the Mercedes-Benz or whatever, like you're talking about a top-tier, uh, known quantity, uh, premium player. And the value to that, in my mind, uh, is that if you have the ability to get a Bryce Harper, uh, obviously it can push you over the top, and I'm hoping he'll push me over the top this year. If things don't work, he's incredibly tradable, right? And uh, the risk for that, to me, is generally uh, low. Like it's not the most uh, high-risk thing to take on a Bryce Harper because if I'm in seventh place or eighth place on uh, on July one, I'm definitely going to get s- some some asset back for that. Now, when you're talking about Travis Shaw, like you're ride or die with Travis Shaw, man. If Travis Shaw is not worth the four bucks you pay for him, like what are we doing, right? Like what do you what do you do with that? Oh, I only paid a buck for him, so it'll be okay. All right, fine. You'll, you'll, you'll be fine. I mean, look, you'll be fine. You'll get the two bucks back or whatever. Yeah, you get the dollar back. I mean, it's not it's not the end of the world, but it's um, it's not an asset that you can flip is all my point. But, no, but yeah, right. right. I mean, you totally changed the risk profile of it. That's that's right. All right. I, I, I think uh, one of the few criticisms we had about our first episode is we ran a little long. I think we knew we ran a little long in that first episode. We were over an hour or so. Um, I think we're going we're gonna to cut it short tonight. Uh, keep it a tidy uh, 45 minutes or so. Um, Niv, Chad, thanks for thanks for hanging out with me tonight and, and doing this podcast again. Um, it was great uh, meeting you this past weekend, Chad. It was good seeing you again, Niv. And uh, I wanted to thank everybody that's that's been listening to us so far. We appreciate any feedback. Um, send us questions. Send us comments. Uh, and, and any feedback is welcome. So thank you very much, and good night. <laughs>